This morning, if you can turn to Ezra 8, Ezra 8 is where we will be. A few announcements uh, before we begin. I'm really glad that's right up here. I kept thinking I'll have to turn around, but I won't. So you will be there with us. First and foremost, if you are new to Emmaus or you are very fresh today and you want to get connected with us, uh, there's going to be a virtual connect card. Uh, Yes, there it is. Um, And it should be on this side right here. You can snap a picture of of that uh, QR code, and that will help you get connected with us this morning. Uh, If that's a little too much technology or if that's not enough interaction for you, our hospitality team would love to see you out in the lobby after service. There's a high-top table, and and they would love to to greet you and and help you fill out that Connect card. I believe they even have a gift there for you if, if you're a new guest with us this morning. On the other side, you see a QR code, and that's uh, a a way for you to give to Emmaus. You can take a picture of that, or maybe you're not prepared this morning, or you're prepared with paper, right, a check or cash. Uh, There's a cash box out in the lobby. It's it's a little hard to find, but uh, I'm sure with due diligence, you will be able to find it. However, if you're not prepared this morning, you can go to EmmausKC.com slash give anytime during the week and and give in that way with uh, with Emmaus this morning, or at any point in time, this morning, now, or later. Uh, the next, I'm going to kind of go chronologically because we have a lot of announcements. Tonight at Shelter 4 in Mackin Park, we're having a summer fellowship. What was going to happen last week is actually happening tonight. Uh, tonight, four, uh, Shelter 4, 6 to 8 p.m. It's behind Shelter 1 where we usually most of the time meet. You just got to go a little further into the park. You need to bring your own chairs, your own food, if that's the time of day that you eat uh, food. If you eat beforehand, you don't have to bring food. Uh, Bring your own meal, bring your own chair. There's going to be tables and chairs there, but they might fill up. And bring your own other stuff to to fellowship with one another with, right? That's a a game or a sports ball of sorts. Uh, Bring that with you as well. So that's tonight. Next Sunday, we have Emmaus in 10. So what that means is Uh, If you are new, if you filled out that virtual connect card or you're planning on going and talking to our hospitality team, next week uh, we have a little breakout at the end of service. It's in the farthest most uh, lobby, and there are ministry leaders and pastors there to answer your questions, to greet you, and to kind of show you the pattern of next steps if you want to join Emmaus and what membership would look like after that. So that's next week. Then the next next week after that, August 6th, if you are a parent of a middle school or high schooler, we're going to be having a parents meeting before service. Uh, the email this week said 9 a.m., but I'm a little skittish of that. So we're going to bump it back 15 minutes to 9.15, and it'll be in one of the smaller theaters over in that lobby. So if you're, you have a rising sixth grader, this is a great time to meet our volunteers and kind of hear what we do in Emmaus students and, and what that looks like. Uh, for us. So make that a priority. That's August 6th at 9.15. So then the next, next, next week, August 13th, I was loaded with announcements this morning, so I hope you're ready for this. This one, I think, also has a QR code um, on the screen. It's going to be Discover Emmaus. So maybe you've been to Emmaus in 10, and you are ready to join. You want to see what that looks like. Well, the next thing for you to do is our membership class, which is Discover Emmaus. And that's going to be August 13th. There is, may not be a QR code, but if you connect with us, 
with our Connect card or something like that, our weekly announcement email, there's going to be a link for that for you to sign up in our weekly announcement email. All right. Is everybody okay? I hope you're all at uh, Ezra 8 by now. That was tons of time to get there. This morning, I believe that this text tells us that our God guides our steps on our spiritual journey to our everlasting home. Our God is the one who guides us on our, on our spiritual journey to our everlasting home. There's a journey that happens in this passage. They go from a foreign land of exile in Babylon and they go home to Jerusalem. In the same exact way, we are journeying home to our everlasting rest in Jesus Christ. For those of us who believe upon the Lord. We're going to be reading in, starting in verse 15. That chapter 8 obviously has 14 preceding verses. And, and I must tell you right now, I'm, I'm intimidated. I tried to read all those names aloud and it's, it's really hard. And it's time consuming and we've already done so many announcements. So time is of the essence. With that being said, I believe that the first 14 verses and this is going to be hypocritical of me, are very important still. Genealogies aren't for nothing. Lists of names are very, very important for the people of God. For if we believe that this is the inspired word of God for the people of God throughout the ages and throughout the globe, there's something there for us. I think two things immediately pop out when we look at this list of names. The first of which is the familiarity of some of them. First, the familiarity of them is this. We see names like David and Daniel and Jonathan. Maybe even Zechariah or Obadiah is familiar to you. What this shows us is these aren't those people that you probably immediately think of in the Bible. Instead, they're named after those people. In the same way that many of us name our children after saints in the text, what is happening there? We are reminding ourselves of the faithfulness of God to those people. And we are hoping and knowing that our God is faithful to us even still. We are connected to them even through this naming thing. There's familiarity in some names. And the second thing I think is the unfamiliarity with other names. You can just look down and there's some like, Jehiel and um, Jehiam and Jehaziel and Zatu and probably my favorite is Big Vi. Um, these are unfamiliar names to us. I think what this does is it broadens our scope a bit. That not only were there names that are unfamiliar to us that are part of the people of God journeying from exile to Jerusalem, but there are unfamiliar names to us throughout the ages, across the globe, that are hard for our tongues to pronounce. But we know that our good God is saving them, part of his church, part of the people of God. Well, since I'm not going to read it, let's read Ezra 8:15, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Ezra says this, I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped. Three days. As I reviewed the people and the priests, I found there none of the sons of Levi. They weren't there. 
Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jareb, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam. These are leading men. And for Joarib and Elnathan, who were men of insight, and sent them to Edo. He's the leading man at the place, Casaphia, telling them what to say to Edo and his brothers and the temple servants at the place of Casaphia, namely, to send us ministers for the house of our God. By the good hand of our God on us. That's right. By the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and kinsmen. There are 18 of them. Also, Hashabiah, and with him Jeshiah of the sons of Merari, with his kinsmen and their sons. There are 20 of them. Besides, 220 of the temple servants, whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites. These were all mentioned by name. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this. And he listened to our entreaty. That's right, he listened to our entreaty. Then I set apart 12 of the leading priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and 10 of their kinsmen with them. And I weighed out to them the silver and the gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present had offered. I weighed out into their hands 650 talents of silver and silver vessels worth 200 talents and 100 talents of gold. 20 bowls of gold worth a thousand derricks, and two vessels of fine, bright bronze, as precious as gold. And I said to them, You are holy to the Lord. And the vessels are holy, and the silver and the gold are a free will offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers' houses in Israel at Jerusalem within the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites took over the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem, to the house of our God. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us. He delivered us from the hand of the enemy, from ambushes, by the way. That's right, the hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem and there we remained three days. On the fourth day, within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of Merimoth, the priest, son of Uriah. And with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas. And with them, there were Levites. Josabad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benui. The whole was counted and weighed. And the weight of everything was recorded. At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and as a sin, offering 12 male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps, 
and to the governors of the province beyond the river. And they aided the people and the house of God. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please pray with me? Our God, you guide our steps on our spiritual journey to our everlasting home, which is with you. You are the one who gathers, you gather your people to yourself. You secure your people with yourself. And you preserve your people for yourself. Lord, give us ears to hear your word this morning. Give us clear minds and may we hear from you, O God. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. From the get-go, we can see some similarities of that idea of a journey. We see that they go from one place to another. And for the Christian, we see it as well that we go from this world on to our heavenly home. However, in this text, I think the last paragraph shows a glaring difference between their journey and our journey. And that is this. Their journey ends with sacrifice. And it's a good sacrifice too. It's very whole and full. Twelve bulls for all Israel. Twelve, a number of the the tribes of Israel. Ninety-six, a number divisible by twelve. And again, twelve male goats. And in there, 77 lambs. Seven, the number of perfection. The number of created days. It's a good, whole sacrifice. There's a lot that's good there. However, this morning, brothers and sisters, we have a sacrifice that is greater than the sacrifice that ends their journey. And the difference is our sacrifice does not end our journey. Our sacrifice begins our journey. Listen to what what the author of Hebrews says of Christ in chapter 10. He says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. These are the offerings that are here in the last paragraph of Ezra 8. He's saying you don't take pleasure in those. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest, the priests Sherebiah, Hashabiah, the priests Josabad, Jeshua, Noadiah, Benui, the priests that were standing in the, in the, in the temple even to the day that he, the author of Hebrews wrote this book. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice. Bulls, rams, lambs, lambs, bulls, doves. Over and over again, repeatedly, the same sacrifices. And these sacrifices can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Why did he sit down? Because it was enough. 
The one was enough. He's waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Our journey begins with the sacrifice of Jesus. In his body, he bore our sins. And he, we are being perfected as we are being sanctified. Where they journey and journey and journey. And at the end, a hope of this sacrifice to come. With this very good sacrifice in the last paragraph of Ezra 8. We begin our journey knowing that Christ is good enough. That Christ's sacrifice is enough. We begin with our journey and we see as we lead through this text, there are are three kind of movements, three opportunities, three activities of our God here in Ezra 8. In verse 18, We see the good hand of God bringing the man of discretion, the Levite, the priest that is needed. In verse 23, verse 22, we see the hand of God proclaimed, but in 23, we see that he listens to their entreaty. His activity is that he listens to them. And then in verse 31, the hand of our God was on us and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy from ambushes by the way. He's the God who delivers his people. So those are our three steps this morning, our three points. First, our God gathers his people to himself. Second, our God secures his people with himself. And lastly, our God preserves his people for himself. And those three activities, I believe, is a great metaphor for us This morning. First, our God gathers his people to himself. We see in the first uh, 20 verses of this, a people gathered. At verse 15, Ezra looks up. He's taking an account of all the people, but he notices that there's someone missing. There isn't those from the tribe of Levi, those who are to be the priests. And of course, there are priests already in Jerusalem, as we've seen through the book of Ezra. However, with this great leading of people, that's going to be a lot for them to hold. That's a big capacity for those people, for those priests there. So we, we must bring priests with us. We must bring Levites with us. He looks around and he notices, notices this. And he sends some people off and they come back and they have the ones that they need. The gathering of the people is incomplete without these. And as we have seen already, we as a people on our journey, we don't look around and say, oh, we need special priests to help us. For we know that we have the most special priests of all, as we've already seen in Hebrews 10. We have Jesus the Christ. And yet, by his sacrifice, by who he is, we see that we also are priests as he is. This morning, I want to share with you a doctrine that we believe that's called the priesthood of all believers. That each and every one of us who are sanctified, who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, is a priest unto God. Does this mean that we make a sacrifice like Jesus? No, because he's already made the sacrifice on our behalf. Instead, our sacrifices 
are spiritual and spiritual worship. We've already read this morning from 1 Peter 2, but that's where I'm going back again. In 1 Peter 2, chapter 2, verse 4, we read this. As you come to him, and that is Jesus, as you come to Jesus, who is a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He calls us a holy priesthood. He says what we are to do, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. And he gives this picture of living stones. He goes on to say that Christ is the cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And because of that cornerstone, all the living stones of the church through the ages are built upon him. Over and over again, connected. What does he call this building? It's not just a building, it's a spiritual house. If we remember from Ezra over and over and over again in chapter 8, the reason why they're taking the silver and gold, the reason why they're going is to help the people in the house of God. In the house of God. The difference with starting with Christ on our journey and his sacrifice is that we're not going to a temple. We are the temple. We are the holy ones, living stones made up to be built upon one another. Why? For the spiritual sacrifice is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says in, in 1 Peter 2, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Christian, look at the glorious good news of the gospel, of what you were and what you are. You come out of darkness and into marvelous light because of the goodness of Jesus Christ. And let me say this, if you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, hear the words of Peter. Maybe Jesus is a stone of stumbling to you. I hope that the Lord would give you clarity this morning that he is not. Instead, he is the cornerstone of the spiritual building of worship that is due to him. Listen, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, those of us who are the church. And we get to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us even out of darkness into marvelous light. And we proclaim that to you this morning. And moments from now, we will take of a meal that is for the people of God. And all it's doing is proclaiming the goodness of God as we commune with our Savior and our Lord. We beg of you to watch us. Watch us worship. I hope you've heard the glory of, of those brought out of darkness into marvelous light with our singing this morning. I hope that you see the goodness of Jesus Christ with the love and compassion that we may have upon you this morning. We urge you to take Christ, to know that you can be one who was once not a people, but now a people of God. That you are one who 
once did not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. Paul says in Romans 12, talking of our spiritual sacrifice, that offering that Peter is speaking of in our worship is this in Romans 12. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Christ's once-for-all sacrifice and gives us life to continue to worship that every day we are a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Brother and sister, you are a priest of God. Offer your spiritual worship and see how God has gathered his people to himself. The second step, the second activity that we see God doing in chapter 8 is in verse 23. Our God secures his people with himself. We see that they fast there, and, and Ezra gives kind of a, a, a weird reasoning. He's, he's a little one foot in, one foot out, it seems to me. I don't want to ask the king for help, because I already told the king the goodness of our God. So... I'm going to fast and implore our God for this. In fact, we are going to fast and implore our our God for this. Now, I want to be very clear this morning. I believe that fasting and prayer is a beautiful and wonderful thing. But by no means is our God contingent upon our actions. By no means do we deserve God to hear us because we do a certain set of actions. No, it is by his goodness and his grace that he listens to them, and he listens to us, friends. It is not because they fasted and they prayed. In fact, I believe their fasting and their praying is more for them to to come under a transformation to see God's goodness regardless of the outcome. It's like what the Hebrew children say in, in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, before they're thrust into the furnace. They say to Nebuchadnezzar, Our God's going to save us. And even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down to you and worshiping you because he is the one worthy of worship and in control of our every being. So when we fast and we pray, we should see this is what's happening. We're not imploring our God to do things for us with a, a, a formula of words. But in his grace and his goodness, he pours out mercy for us. He listens to our entreaty. We see what follows after he listens. Ezra starts dishing out the gold and silver, pun intended. The silver and the gold vessels that are there are a precious thing for the worship of God in the temple. And he says to them, you are holy to the Lord. And he tells them to guard them and keep them. But what does this mean for our journey? If we are the temple, we're not journeying to there. Is there anything for us to keep, to guard? I think that there is. We see that the good deposit that's been entrusted to us, as Paul says to Timothy, 
by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, is the gospel of God. This gold and this silver is something for us to see as a picture for us as we cling to the gospel, as we hold it close, as we guard it with our very lives. Why? Because it has given us life. Our God has given us life and we cling to it. We don't go running after different little things. The gold and the silver is not, for us, actual gold and silver. Instead, it is the most pure gold and silver that there is. Remember, as Zechariah said, as we welcomed everyone into service this morning, there's a third that is to be purified and be like gold and silver. This morning, what we're seeing is in Ezra, for the believer today, we are to guard the good deposit entrusted to us. We're to glorify God with this spiritual worship by holding the gospel near and dear, that it is ever there on our minds and our hearts and our tongues and our hands. And it is by himself that he secures us. Notice that. What is the gospel? We see that it is the Lord Jesus Christ coming and dying on our behalf. That the, the spirit being sent and indwelling his people. In the same way at Christmas time, we sing a lot of songs that have the name Emmanuel in them. When Jesus ascends to the Father, we are not left without God. For the spirit, we also have Emmanuel. We have God with us. Today, now, brother and sister, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. It reminds me of what Paul says to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 4, he says, it's like we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. Brothers and sisters, you may be crushed. You may be feeling like you're destroyed. This past week was one of the roughest weeks you've had all year. This past year has been one of the worst years you've had of your whole life. But we hold a treasure in jars of clay to show that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. See that connection to our spiritual worship? In Hebrews 10, he spoke much of, you don't want these sacrifices, but you've prepared a body for me. And it's in that body that that once for all sacrifice happens. And yet, with 1 Peter, we see that as we are living stones, as he is living stones, we also have something very important to do with our bodies. Brothers and sisters, the spiritual worship is the whole body worship. It is all of who you are. It is every part of your life. It's not just showing up at certain times on Sunday or whenever your group meets. It's not uh, giving some mental uh, portion to your day, to the things of God. No, it is all of us. And all of who we are. Why? Because we have this treasure in jars of clay. We jump down, we see, and it moves to our final point. In 2 Corinthians, it says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Which moves us to the third activity of God in Ezra 8. Our God preserves his people for himself. It says in verse 31, after they depart, the hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. There are enemies on our journey. There are ambushes by the way. But friend, I hope you've seen in this journey that the Ezra and company are not the main characters. They're not the ones doing the action. In the same way, our God is the one who preserved them, and our God is the one who preserves us, who brings us to our everlasting home, our eternal destination. He is the one who preserves you. He is the one, though we may feel like the world is closing in around us, that makes a way. And in fact, he does this through the ministry of his son and his spirit. What does Jesus say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the journey. He is the truth of why we make the journey. And he gives us the life to make this journey. Not only does he preserve us by defending us from enemies and ambushes, but he gives us what we need to make the trip. He gives us the food for our journey. And that is himself. Like I said before, moments from now, we will be feasting on a little bit of bread and a small little cup because we know that we are spiritually communing with our Lord. Our God preserves his people for himself, for we are getting to an end, a telos, if you will, a goal, a destination. No one journeys and journeys and journeys without reaching an end. And we are reaching an end. And the goodness of God is that we get to see a little glimpse of it. Now, I've confessed to a couple people this week that I think that Ezra is very confusing, but many of you probably would agree that the book of Revelation is probably very confusing as well. But the glory is that the last two chapters seem very clear of the love of God when we meet that end, when we get to our destination, when we are in his presence, in his place, by his power. Revelation 22, 1 through 4 reads this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Why will his name be on their foreheads? It's a picture of the high priest in Exodus 28 as Moses is receiving from God all of the ways that uh, Israel's to worship, one of them is, is a forehead plate. And it's meant for the chief priest. 
And here at the end, we see the beauty of not only the priesthood of all believers, but really the beauty of God and His people. Saying that they are His people, and He is their God. For they are branded by His name on their forehead. His people are going to get to their their destination. We see this journey take place. We see these three steps that, that our God gathers His people to Himself. He secures His people with Himself. and He preserves His people for Himself. And then we ask the question, so what do we do now? What now? So this morning I have three pastoral charges for us. The first of which is to guard the good deposit. Know the silver and the gold that you have in the gospel. The goodness of the good news. Guard it. Bring it close to you. Treasure Christ. And in so doing, by guarding this deposit, we have the second pastoral charge, which is to go get them. Go get them. Who is them? Those who are the people of God. Those who we know and those that we don't know. So that means there is an encouragement for you to be a a good brother and sister to your brothers and sisters at Emmaus and specifically in your community groups. Who haven't you seen in the past few months? Go get them. What about those who are, are not of our church yet? Who do not know Christ? Go get them. You, like Peter said, have the awesome opportunity to proclaim the excellencies of God, of how he has brought you out of darkness into marvelous light, so that others may be brought out of darkness into marvelous light. Go get them. We've we've heard this picture over and over again of when Cain asks God, am I my brother's keeper? Here at Emmaus, we know emphatically the answer is yes, absolutely we are. And we link arms one and one, one, uh, with one another to get to our eternal destination, our everlasting home. Saying, we will cross the Jordan together. We are going home. So go get them. And lastly, as every week, I want to charge you to commune with God. To take the goodness of this little piece of bread And this cup that the Lord raised with his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat it. Consume it. This is the cup, the blood of the new new covenant. Drink all of it. I've spilt it for you. This meal is a remembrance of what Christ has done. Yes, that is true. This meal is also a looking forward to the feast that we have in our everlasting home. This is true. But this meal is also presently for each and every one of us who call upon the name of the Lord and are saved. For it is by which we commune with God spiritually as we take these things. We remind ourselves of the gospel. We know that it is by Christ and Christ alone that we live and move and breathe on this journey to our celestial city. Friends, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Christ, this is not for you. Instead, what's for you is to take in, to watch, 
the parade that happens before your very eyes. It's a parade of those who claim, who proclaim the excellencies of Christ, the excellencies that he has brought us out of death into life, out of darkness into marvelous light. Notice what happens there. Because each and every one of them, just as Peter says, we were once not his people and now we are, which means that can be true for you as well. So we ask you not to take of this meal, but to consider taking of Christ himself. The rest of us who are going to enjoy this meal, you know what's going to happen. I know that the first two rows are full of people that know exactly what's going to happen. So if you don't know what's going to happen, just watch them. One by one, we're going to come around and take. We're going to go back to our seats. We're going to take this meal as together, a body, one after one, a parade of proclamation. Would you pray with me? Our good God, your good hand is upon your people. Guide our steps on our spiritual journey to our everlasting home. Gather your people to yourself. Secure your people with yourself. Preserve us, Lord, until we make it home. There is no no pain or sorrow or suffering. There is only joy in your presence. Bless us now as we take this meal. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And may us come and take.